Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Rambler. I am your host, Mike McDonald. As usual, welcome adoptees, adopted family, friends, people who love adoptees, who just want to learn more, or adoption professionals. You know who you are if you're listening to the show. You know what we bring here, maybe. I don't know, are you new? I've heard this show is very good. If you're new, you know, it's a little bit long, a little bit long show, all right? It goes on for about an hour, hour and a half. And, you know, I've heard from some people, uh, like Marie Tay McDermott, <laughs> that uh, it's good for the background. So if you're not, you know, if you want to tune in and out, because it goes a little bit long, and we tend to ramble on the show, there's no singular focus, okay? Now, you know, you can cook or do laundry or drive your car, you know, but don't daze off if you're driving your car, okay? Pay attention to the road, not only for your safety, but uh, for other people's safety. You know, it's a community event driving, so be careful out there, okay? Because you never know. You never know what kind of crazy bad drivers are out there either. They might be listening to my show and zoning out, all right? So just keep it safe. Keep it safe, Okay. I had a pretty busy weekend, uh, adoption stuff-related stuff-wise. I went to the uh, Adoption Initiative Conference dinner in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I, I met up with uh, a bunch of unexpected people, like uh, Amy Ginther, who I went there to go see originally. It was just like, hey, what's up, Amy? Let's, uh, she did a spoken word singing performance, of which somehow I got mentioned in. <laughs> Which was awesome. It was great. It was it was a lot of fun. I'm gonna steal her act and her beautiful space dress. So Amy, if you're listening, just prepare for that. It's coming. And there were a lot of other great performances, and there were people there that I didn't expect to see that I ended up seeing, which is awesome. Like Joy Lieberthal, amazing. Didn't see her. Haven't seen her in a very long time. Great to see her. Nicole Shepard, great to see her as well. Came from Minnesota. I was like, oh my god, Nicole Shepard. Haven't seen her since like uh, October, November time frame. Too many people to name. Too many people to name. Hopefully, also, uh, future guests for the show, which will be amazing. Anyways, today, I have a great episode for you. Today, we have Milton Washington. Yes, Milton Washington, the great, amazing personality, Milton Washington. Hilarious, down-to-earth, very cool dude. Got lots of great stories to tell. Okay, so you're going to want to tune into this one. Uh, not only that, but this is a two-part episode because me and Milton talked for so long that he shared so many great stories and it ends this part, part one, it's on such a great cliffhanger, you're going to have to tune into the second one to hear the rest, because it's just amazing. He's an amazing guy. So what else? Uh, this weekend, yesterday, uh, I went to the AKA Summer Barbecue. It's the end of the year barbecue. We celebrate all the past programming that we did this year uh, to include the 20th anniversary. Uh, we, 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 the youth mentorship and teen mentorship event, uh, we made it an event for them just to kind of celebrate together as one big happy family. And it looks like next year there may be even more people involved and uh, kids that want to join the AKA Youth and Teen Mentor Program. So listen, if you're in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area and you would like to join the AKA Youth and Teen Mentorship Program, check the website. Or if you just want to join AKA in general, check the website. We'll start stuff again next year in uh, September, August, September timeframe. I think they're going to maybe do something in July. I'm not sure. I'm not on the board anymore, but listen, it's a lot of fun, and you should definitely uh, check out the website if you live in the area. Uh, this weekend, I'm going down to Washington, D.C. Yes, I'm heading down later today. I still got to pack my bag to go to Washington, D.C. Uh, and meet up with ALDC, Adoption Links D.C. down there. I'll be having dinner with them tonight and then hopefully getting a bunch of interviews from all the D.C. folks this week for you guys to look forward to. So there will be, just like Boston, a whole slew, like maybe like... I don't know, a month or so of uh, D.C. adoptees talking and sharing their stories as well. So that'll be awesome. Really looking forward to that, D.C. Get ready. Get ready. I'm coming to, I don't know, not fix the city <laughs> or the nation's issues. Because, um, you know, adoptees have not been born in the United States. Can't run for office. We're immigrants. We're immigrants, you know? And that's why Hamilton's such a great musical. <laughs> I know, you people can't stop listening to Hamilton, right? Right? I can't. Anyways, listen, let's just get right down to it. And you guys can enjoy this week's episode, part one, part one of a two part conversation with Milton Washington. Okay, enjoy. Enjoy. You good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to move the mic this way. 
That way you have the freedom to like walk around a bit. This is a pretty long cord. I don't know how long it goes. Probably not over there. All right, good. good. <laughs> and, and hopefully I don't tear up some equipment because I don't want to owe you money. No, well, this, uh, you know, some of the, well, I think the microphone and the laptop are the most expensive, but yeah, everything yeah. else, like the headphones are okay. Yeah, all right, good, good. <laughs> so basically, if I tear some shit up, let it be the headphones. Yes. All right, cool. Yeah, that all would right. be good. All right. <laughs> I'm with you. All right, so here we are up in your place in Harlem. In Harlem, Sugar Hill, baby. So tell me, is this Sugar Hill? This is Sugar Hill proper. So is that like Sugar Hill Gang, Sugar Hill? As, as in the Sugar Hill Gang, Sugar Hill. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I know nothing about Harlem. Everything I know about Harlem is from Sugar Hill Gang. Right? Yeah, hey, hey. And but, American Gangster, and that's pretty much it. But, you know, like like most transplants, like most black trans, we don't know shit about this motherfucker either. You know what I mean? Really? Nah, that's just the way it is. There's not know? like families that have been here for for. There are clearly black folks and families that's been here forever. Like, I know one of them. They, 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 boom, they, they're right around, uh, right around the corner on uh, St. Nick and 153rd. That's close. They've, they've been there for like forty years. Damn. It was it's my it was my friend's childhood home. Yeah. So that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she's talking about the uh, the artist salons that they used to have, you know, on the uh-huh. parlor floor, and 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 now they start to kind of kick it back in, and you know, so th- this this place is rich with history, but yeah, I don't know most of it. Right, so most of the people who live here now are transplants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From where? From yeah. everywhere? From, every, you know, motherfuckers like me. Shit, I'm from Korea. <laughs> that is true. Well, so you spent most of your young life, and we're going to get to that in Korea, but then where did you move from Korea? Um, you know, the crazy thing is, uh, damn it, I, like, I have a newspaper over here uh-huh. that, that, that addresses that. Can I, can I get it? Sure. All right. All right. These look like old papers. Yep, yep, these, these are old papers. Let me see, I think, now I gotta get glasses. <laughs> okay, all right. So, this is the New York Times, mm-hmm. Saturday, January 5th, 2008. Okay. Barack Obama just won the Iowa caucus. Yeah. There's a photo here of, um, what, on the right, white people, uh, typical Iowans, in the bleachers as they're reaching down to shake the hand of the man that either by this point either has won or will have won the Iowa caucus. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and, and it's kind of a long article. It says, daring to believe black saver Obama victory. For Sadu Brown in a Los Angeles suburb, the decisive victory of Senator Barack Obama in Iowa was a moment to show his 14-year-old son what is possible. For Mike Duncan in Maryland, it was a sign that Americans were moving beyond rigid thinking about race. For Milton Washington in Harlem, it looked like the beginning of something he never thought he would see. Quote, it was like, oh my God, we're on the cusp of something big, something big about to happen, Mr. Washington said. In Harlem, Mr. Washington, a 37-year manager of business development for a medical research company, expressed similar um, skepticism. Listen, I've lived in the sticks. So, so I know how this country is, Mr. Washington said, who is half Korean and has lived in Mississippi, Oklahoma, Indiana, and Virginia. Quote, in the beginning, it was like, I'd love to have a black dude, especially a black dude like that in, in the office. But I didn't think it was possible. And then it goes on. So, to, I know that's a long way to answer your question. Yeah, so is, you lived all over. Huh? You've lived all over. I've lived all over. And when I, when I moved in from, when I, when I got uh, adopted at eight, living in uh, South Korea for another year and a half uh-huh. with my adopted family, the Washingtons. And then we, in, in June 79, we moved to the United States. We lived uh, three and a half years in Lawton, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Fort Sill. Yep. Then we lived six months in Norfolk, Virginia. That's Armed, it? Armed Forces Staff College. Oh, okay. As an entire family. And then in 83, we moved to Indianapolis, Indiana, which is where I started the eighth grade. And then went to went through most of my high school, but in my senior year after football, um, my family, me, my youngest sister Dwin, my mother and father. At this point, everyone else has gone off to college. Mm-hmm. We go out to Seaside High School. Uh, we go out to Monterey, California, and I, I, I'm in Seaside High School. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've been around, and then from there, boom, went to Chicago, uh, football scholarship, Northwestern. Got kicked out um, and injured, 
Uh, I got a blood clot from my knee to my stomach. Oh, shit. And, and, and the doctors, and that happened after the injury. And that's when I really found out that I couldn't play football because I couldn't train yeah. because of the clot. Yeah. That sounds so, pretty serious. Yeah, it was a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it fucked with my head for a while. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and really, to be honest, it still fucks with my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, you, when, you got a, when you got a thing that, you know, when people have it, normally they're well into their 70s or 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes it's the thing that ends up killing them. Yeah. You know, and, you know, you've had that thing since 19. You yeah. You kind of go, you know, life, life probably won't be long. Hmm. <laughs> so, so life's not it, long as it is already. Well, I'm just saying already. Yeah. But it, it was a, it did kind of give me this aha, you know, uh, a moment of, well, fuck it. I better start living life for real. Yeah. Like every day. Yeah. Which, which is what the fuck I do now. <laughs> so did you get that fixed or is that like still a thing? So, so what happens is when you have a, when you have a small clot, uh-huh. you know, something that's the size of, um, you know, tip of your uh, pinky. Yeah. The risk is it can travel, uh-huh. dislodge and travel, heart, yeah. brains, yep. lungs. Uh, my brother Don and Joe both have pulmonary embolisms, oh. which is kind of strange yeah. and coincidental. But but what happened when you have a massive clot like this, mm-hmm. um, the doctors can't really go in there to take it out. Huh. That's not an option. Okay. So, so what happens they is they want to stabilize uh, your blood to, uh, uh, so it's preventing any more future clots. Okay. Right? If you fuck around with that, someone could bleed to death. Mm-hmm. Right? So um, you want to make sure you get that right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so then once you're stabilized and then you're sent home, you, you're, you're sent home on this stuff called blood thinner called Coumadin. Okay. Which a lot of old people know a lot about. Sure. Right? Like I said, I'm a young motherfucker that knows a lot of old people shit when it comes to, like, circulation. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, for the next years, your body is basically enveloping the clot. Mm-hmm. And then it's gro- then it's also growing what, what they call corollaries, additional veins to aid circulation. Okay. But because it's kind of the, the next best, yeah. your, your circulation is compromised. Mm. Like, right now, if, if, if you can notice my leg, my leg... This leg is bigger than this leg. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, like, you know, when I'm walking around on the streets and, you know, with shorts on, motherfuckers go, yo, what's up with that dude's leg? <laughs> Do you think they really think that? No, it, it, it's not even a really thing. You see heads turning all the time looking right at my leg. Really? And, and really, it's my, it's first of all, as a Korean, I got big-ass calves anyway. But then as a Korean with big-ass calves and a blood clot that has a leg that has compromised circulation, which means mm-hmm. there's swelling. Those big ass cla- those big ass calves look bigger. Mm. So you know it looks like I'm walking around with a tire on my ankle. Of course you're gonna look down. You're like, yo, what's that motherfucker doing with the tire around his ankle? You know his 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 calf. Yeah. So yeah, you want yeah, I get looks all the time. So you're looking forward to beach season then? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know that's one of the things I love about New York. Like New York, like I see this one lady in the neighborhood. She's got one fucking arm, and she's always rocking sleeveless shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's, to me, that's such a fucking freeing thing, right? Yeah, it's empowering for Yeah, you, you, you learn how to kind of not give a fuck about the thoughts of others. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I'll tell you, man, it's like, if you're going to live life, that's one of the things that you, like, you ultimately want to be good at. Yeah. You know? Well, in this city, it's a survival thing. And you got to, yeah, yeah, in this city, you definitely need to survive. Because it's like, I feel like in New York, it's like, you just don't have time in your day for the judgment. Right. It's like you can sit there and dwell on it all the time, right. or you can just make something of yourself. Right. right. I don't know. It's a resiliency thing. It is. So you grew up in Korea. Yep. With your birth mother. First eight years is, is how long you were there for? Yep. With my birth mother for eight years. Yep. And you grew up in close to the DMZ, right? I think I distinctly remember four different places. Okay. Oh, all over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but two of those places could have been the same place. Mm. But I doubt it. I, I, I think I think there was at least four places. So the first place, somewhere in the countryside. Okay. You know, clay hut. You know, thatch roof, no cars, no electricity. The whole that, that whole deal. Mm. You know. And then I remember I was I was about five ish. Okay. I remember a massive confrontation between my mother and some um, uh, two other village women. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you know what it was about? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it was about 
them having me uh-huh. and how, you know, basically my mother was bringing shame onto the village, mm. right? You know, so it's like, you got to get the fuck out the village. They were, they were kicking her out? <laughs> they kicked us out. And I remember when they did, that's when we moved closer to the DMZ, probably closer, um, to uh, Dongjichang. Yeah. And um, I remember, uh, I, I just remember this, um, the winter that, that, that I was there. Um, you know, Koreans got this little, uh, you know, it's a, it's a straight up homemade little, little sled, but it's like a little, uh, uh, um, a little box, not even a, yeah, it's like a little box, just a little flat piece of wood in, mm-hmm. in a square, um, probably as big as a tile. Um, and, and, and you put, you know, two skates underneath it. And you roll down, you know the, the you know these cold winter you know f- frozen rivers, skating it. You, know, you get your little get your little sled. Mm-hmm. I, and I just remember like I never had one, but I I'm running around amongst the other kids looking for it. And every, every once in a while I get my hands on one and I roll down that motherfucker. And and it, so it's like, so then so I had these memories of Dongducheon. And then uh, back in July 2013. Or 2012, I went back to Korea. Oh yeah, um, first time or not first time? Several times. Okay. The thing is, my, my father, he's still like he's my father, my adopted father. He still speaks. He's he's fluent in Korean. Oh really? So he still goes back every other year. Oh wow. Yeah. Like he's got. So he's got a real tie to. Korea. He's got chings in Korea. Wow. You know what I mean? And 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 that's a hell. He's a whole nother book. You know, a couple times I heard, you know, we needed money and then. He he's gone for the night basically, and and playing mahjong with a bunch of you know some bunch of hardcore Koreans. Really comes back with dough. Wow, that's my old man. Damn, like you so never must have been pretty good at mahjong. <laughs> yo, you never want to play cards with that motherfucker. <laughs> but then he's also good at knowing reading your mind. He's like reading people, reading motherfuckers. Like that, I, I kind of get it from him. I think. Yeah, I think I was born with a little bit of it, but a lot of it I get from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know how many times I hear in my family. Damn. You know, you are your father's son. I'm the most like my father out of all of my brothers. And I really? Got, I got three brothers uh-huh. and I got three sisters. Well, that's a big family. Big family. Are you the only uh, adoptee or no, are there no, others? No, 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 no. Joe, the other kid, uh, two years older than me, uh-huh. um, he got adopted. And then right before we left, we adopted the, the who ended up being the oldest of the family. Her name was Annie at 14. Wow. Don, the, the previous oldest, was, at, it was, was 13. Huh. Yeah, and that that must have been a mind fuck. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you are no longer the oldest. <laughs> yeah. You've been demoted. How the fuck do you get demoted from being the oldest? <laughs> Damn. You know, you 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 would think, you know, by the time you're 13, there's zero risk of you being, you know, in a family that all of a sudden you got a sibling older than you. Nope. Uh, magically appears. Apparently not. Shit. I, <laughs> yo. I love my brother, but there's, you know, everyone's kind of fucked up in their own way. But, yeah, you know, that's true. Like, I know how my brother Don's fucked up in his way. Now, he's mm-hmm. a great motherfucker, but, you know, he's got an interesting brand of being fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So, are, are all your adopted siblings uh, also from Korea? Or is it kind of all, all black over? and Korean from Korea? All black and Korean. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that's writing this book, but out of those three stories, Annie... Joseph and Milton. It's arguable. I'm I'm third. In what? In 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 the the impact and the richness of the stories. Oh, okay. And and I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell anybody. Yeah, my story. Take even take me out of the equation. My story is the shit. Mm-hmm. It's the shit because it is so real. Yeah. It will transport you in your mind and in your heart, right? And in that transport. Like you will remember like what it felt to be a kid, mm. right? And and how and then then you'll you'll see the clear lines on how that kind of is where you are, you know. And you go, well, shit. And then you'll kind of learn like I don't have to let that shit control who and what I am anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I and I think that's that's been a lot of the appeal with people who encounter you know my story. You know, I, at the end of the day, I think it will it will help you get some good get a good pair of balls to like fight the demons of your life. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, yeah, you got to acknowledge the demons. Then you got to like find out who and what they are. Yeah. And then you got to face them. You have to have yeah a lot of courage to face the demons. And you got to be real with that facing. You know, if you're not real, you might as well not face it. Sure. You know, that's true. Yeah. 
So do you you said your your siblings have also very rich experiences? Is this something that you guys talk about a lot? I'll just kind of state some of the facts. Uh huh. All right. So Annie, uh, at fourteen, she's tall. She was probably five, six at fourteen. Wow. Um, That's tall. And bronze, like copper bronze. You know, the the kind of bronze that would be on a copper tone commercial, mm. you know, billboard ad. You know what uh-huh. I mean? They're like, yeah, that this is the ultimate shit. Um, and she had beautiful long hair, a striking face, slim athletic body with big titties. At 14, black and Korean, you know. So I know grown-ass soldiers were looking. Yeah. And, you know, in Korea, that situation right there creates a high likelihood there's going to be some shit going down. Mm-hmm. Now, my sister never told me, yeah, this is, that's what I did. But I also never asked, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but even if she didn't go through that, being in that situation, being 14, being black and Korean in the same South Korea that I was, black and Korean, she caught hell and she probably had to do what she had to do. Yeah. I wouldn't blame her. Mm-hmm. I know I was doing what the fuck I had to do. You know, I remember when me and my mother, we moved um, from Dongdichon. We only lived in Dongdichon for about a year. And then we moved to Bupyong. Where's that? Bupyong is, uh, it, it, now it's actually part of Seoul. Okay. Um, but I think it's southwest, um, basically, not a, not a suburb, but part of Seoul. Shit, I, I don't know. I South of the river? Um, I'd say, I think it's just north of the river. Oh, okay. Because the river goes kind of, kind of south in, 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 well, I guess it kind of goes through the middle. But anyway, uh, so at eight years old, we moved, at six years old, we moved from Donachon to Bupyong. Okay. And, you know, as a kid, I remember like, first of all, we got this studio apartment, Mm -hmm. like one big window that looks across the street, across a really wide street that... Later on, I'd see Saturday mornings um, these marches by the by the military, and they'd have their tanks and jeeps and like I'm just saying that's like that's porn to a child. You know what I mean? Sure, like, yeah. Oh my god! It's like you know? GI Joes. Yeah, this is like fucking real GI Joes. I'm like, holy shit! And and you, and, you know, as a six year old kid, you're like. Oh my God, Americans are the shit. So this is the American military. Yeah, this is the U.S. military. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What were the parades for? You know, chances are it's just a, you know it's it's like you know when those soldiers when when they're jogging, you got to jog you know in unison. Uh huh. Um, I think it's just exercising to keep the you know military motherfucker you know the soldiers yeah. sharp. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I they're think, just doing it as like an exercise kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like I said, so for me, you know, I see all these tanks and all that. But anyway, uh, so me and my mother we moved to Bupyong, um, and our studio apartment is sitting on top of. Um, this 24-hour porridge house mm-hmm. that a lot of kind of the, uh, like the Korean nationals um, would come to. And, and I say Korean nationals, these, these are old school porridge houses. It's a thing, you know? You, you're a farmer. You go to a 24-hour joint mm-hmm. because you've been drinking all evening and you want to <laughs> keep on drinking. You got to create a base. Yeah, you know, and uh, because you got to be up at, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, yep. back out there on that field. Mm-hmm. And my mother was tight with uh, the owner. Um, in, in my book, I call her Unsook. So that porridge house was at the end of the alley that I call in my book T-Shirt Alley because that's the red light district. Oh. Because our apartment is at the end of that alley, which uh-huh. is across the street from the front gates of Camp Market or Ascom City, which used to be like one of the largest maintenance and logistics depots in Asia. Oh, really? Yeah. For the Army? For the Army. The U.S. Army. The U.S. Army. Okay. Before the U.S. Army took it over in 45, that's what the, it, the, it was a Japanese depot. Oh. Same sort of maintenance. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it's good proximity from Incheon, mm-hmm. uh, the port, um, and it's good proximity to Seoul. Okay. And it's basically in between. So they were like, oh, here's a good spot anyways. Yeah. Let's just take it over. Yeah. And, and, and kind of the interesting um, thing about it is because it was a maintenance and logistics depot, if you were a black soldier in the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, maybe even 80s, it was a good chance that you were going to be at ASCOM City, at Camp Market. Why is that? Because, you know, the military, it's not like they were letting a lot of black soldiers up until uh, uh, the 70s to, to fight in, uh, in battles, mm. you know? Maybe even, maybe 60s, 70s. But 
I'm just, you know, the army got desegregated in 48. Right. And it was really the Korean War that really sparked the true, you know, implementation of that. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that's a whole kind of an interesting thing. And, and, and I talk about that, you know, even in my book. There's a, there's a chapter called Prostitution Pro- Pro- Protocol, which is some kind of in, unwritten rules, of, uh, 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 which are the terms of engagement between Korea, the U.S. military, and the management of prostitution. Hmm. And, and it, it coincides with some shit that I saw as a kid. But then when my adopted father told me about these rules, everything clicked. I had answers. What were the rules? What, I'll tell you, we'll be talking forever about this. But, <laughs> but, but, but there was a long list but, of rules. But, but, but I'm going to give you the, the high-level basic. Okay. I remember when my, my mother and I moved, uh, moved to Bupyong in, in the studio apartment, T-shirt alley. I remember seeing her physically transform. Her hair was long, uh, uh, long and short. Uh-huh. I mean, long and straight. Uh-huh. But then I, I remember it getting curly. I remember her having wigs. Hmm. Yeah. And then I remember not only that look, but when uh, when we moved to Pupyong, that was the first time I had seen a black person. Oh, really? Yeah. And then by that point, it's like because my mother used to tell me that my father was in the states. Uh huh. I wanted to get to the states. Did she tell you that he was a soldier, or was it just? I don't that part. I don't remember. I don't. I. I. I don't know. Okay. But only thing that mattered was my father was in the states. Uh huh. Right. So I'm like, I'm gonna get to the states. So this is the first time you've seen a black person. What was seen that black. Like? Yep. Yeah, seen black folks. Or just real quick, uh, uh, finish this this thought. Okay. So it's like, um, see black folks for the first time start to see my mother start to kind of transform, mm-hmm. right? In that visual transformation, you know, I see her looking, you know, hair different, clothes different. But then I started to, as I as I started to experience black soldiers, see them all the time and hang around them, ask them for money, and they would give, they would give me just good money, which made, which, which factored into me having the friends that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my mother started to, like, I started to notice my mother sounding different. Really? Yeah. In what way? Well, and I figured it out back then. She started to sound like the black soldiers. Oh, like her English? Her English, but 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 the rhythm. Mm. She started sounding less Korean. She had a less Korean rhythm and more black rhythm. And for me, that was like I was just fucking great. You know, I'm talking, <laughs> yeah. I was in love with this shit anyway. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I see the black soldiers, man. They walking around laughing. They just, they look like they had a better time than the white soldiers. Huh. And and then you know when they walking around, man, I just I remember thinking those motherfuckers aren't walking. They're floating. Like that, <laughs> those motherfuckers are just humming. Right. And I'm like, damn, that shit is cool. And then you hear him sing. There was this it was a sound. It, it was this kind of bird chirpy sound that that's kind of how it translated to, to my ears. Uh-huh. Basically, all the other, you know, young little years. And coincidentally, after me and Joe, who didn't know each other prior to adoption, got adopted, we both made the same sound that we thought black soldiers sounded like. What did they sound like? It sounded like this. Gong, 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 gong. That's what we used to say. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like both of it's, it's a weird ass little sound, but we both came to the Washington's house. And as we exchanged stories of our lives up yeah. to that point, we're like, yeah, black soldiers, they sound like this. Did you ever tell your father that? I don't, I don't know if I did. I don't know. I think I did. I think we did have a conversation because my father and my father, he's, 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 he's a bit of a linguist. Mm-hmm. Like I think he only talk. I think he. I think he's only fluent in, in the two languages, just uh, um, English and, and Korean. But he's got a deep appreciation for it, and he's just got a deep appreciation for Koreans. Do you think he would have appreciated the the sounds as as like accurate? Well, um, you know who knows, you know. But he could probably understand. Sure. You know, and and me as an adult, you know, uh, uh, I can go. I can basically say, you know, what it was. There was this. You know, to us, this language um, and the way black folks spoke, like, shit, mm-hmm. I'm a black dude. I be around black folks. And when we talk, it's the shit is rhythmic, just like the shit is now. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just the way it goes. And to a kid who, who doesn't understand all that, you know, what still registers is that rhythm. Yeah. And, and that sound. Well, it's like the origins of jazz. There you go. Hip hop. There you go. And all that. So, yeah, that's very interesting that that rhythm struck you so significantly as a child. So, so, so then, so then, so check it out. So, so we're in this place. I see my mother transform. Uh huh. Um, um, then 
you know, later on, I find that uh, she's working at, at an all-black club mm. um, in the alley, right? And, um, and you know, because we're, we're talking about these prostitution protocol things. So one time, uh, I get dragged to the end of the alley. The woman unsook from downstairs. She takes me up. She throws me up on her shoulders. And um, I, I'm seeing uh, now uh, like a big white bus. Korean police, mm. aqua helmets, you know, the, the, the uniforms, you know, yep. the batons, just like buzzing about grabbing the girls from my mother's club where oh, she's a mama wow. son. Yeah. Right. And my mother's already on the bus and she's screaming out to me and she's like, Milton, don't go nowhere for two weeks. Go downstairs for food. I'll be back in two weeks. You know, she, two weeks. That's very specific. Two weeks. Like I remember two weeks. Okay. So. Um, you know, I'm a six, seven year old kid. I'm, I'm crying like, you know, I'm bawling, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, but I always knew like my mother had plenty of opportunities to make promises to me and uh, to always keep them, uh-huh. you know, um, you know, she, she had a very interesting life and she had a very interesting life with me. But one of the things that sticks out in my mind is she kept her promises, you know, that's probably has a lot to do with why I, you know, believe in keeping my promises. That shit is sacred to me. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so yeah, two weeks and you know, that was the first time I was at home by myself for two weeks. What'd you do? I have these little boys, these little t-shirt alley boys, these little homeless kids now. Uh And I've been hanging out with these, these are my friends now, Uh you know, and not only were these my friends, but there's the, the, there was an older kid and in, in the book I call him, uh, Kim Sue. But there was an older kid who ran all the other kids, all of us. He was like the boss right. kid. He was the boss, right? And like I remember the the emotion in his face, which was, yeah, all right, I can see how the world produces murderers. I get it. Yeah, you know what wow. I mean? Yeah, you can see some shit. This it's a lot of pain there, right? Yeah, yeah. How old was he? Man, he 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 was much bigger. He was probably ten-ish. Okay. And I'm six or seven. And he's already putting eight. it together like this yeah. is how the world works here. Yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, I had this emotional memory of, uh, of how alone he was. Mm-hmm. There's not some shit that he talked about, but you know, it's, yeah. Like I, I don't remember exactly where all these kids went, um, if they were always on the street because yeah. I had a home, you know, so I, I can, I can be in and out. Plus deep down inside, I, I will always be a loner. Mm-hmm. Basically, I, you know, you would never believe that with the, the love and the, and, and the lives that I got around me, but I, I have a deep appreciation for being alone. Yeah. Right. And kind of feeling that, you know, and this is kind of a bad thing. Sometimes I'm like, I love y'all, but I'm not always deeply connected with y'all. Sure. You know what I mean? It's natural. So, um, so, so then I'm hanging out with these kids. Uh, my mother's locked up. I never knew where she went. Uh huh. You know, Um, cause I didn't even know what lock being locked up really meant. Right. Yeah. They just got on the bus and she left. So uh, a few years ago, uh, I'm talking to my old man. My, my parents, uh, they're in D.C. He's a uh, um, uh, retired active duty. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like a GS-15 or something. Um, no, I think he's SES now. Oh, wow. Executive. Yeah, he's SES yeah, yeah. now. Yeah, That's pretty high up. Yeah, he pushes a lot of paper. <laughs> so, you know, we get to talking and I'm like, yeah, you know, I remember this time. I was like, I was at, I was at the crib by myself. And my mother said two weeks. Yep. You know, Eju, you know. So you're like counting down the days? Well, you know, yes and no. Yes, because, you know, I'm a kid who wants his mom back, obviously, right. right? But I am kicking it with these kids. Every day. Every day, all day. Like, six, seven. Like, w- when I was a kid playing around with these kids, I remember um, oftentimes I'd get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. My mother would get up, and she'd have to put a cold compress on my head because I used to complain about headaches. Mm-hmm. I used to have them a lot. And I got to, and you know, looking back, I was just like, I was probably hung the fuck over. So you're drinking with these kids we, like all day? Or? Man, we would steal so much mockery and soju. It oh. was crazy. Were they, were, were, nobody just gave it to you or anything like that? So like, I, don't, I don't remember anybody giving it to us, but you know. You know so you just grabbed it. Yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't care about that because, you know, it, like for us, like stealing fucking mockery was like picking flowers and shit. Sure, you know yeah. what I mean? Just walk around, boom, hey, steal that. Well, boom, it's everywhere. Boom. It's everywhere. <laughs> You know what I mean? And you know how Koreans, motherfuckers. You know when, when they get fucked up, they get fucked up. They do. It's a bunch of folks. <laughs> bunch of folks. You know, killed over on their shit. You know, we're like, you won't be needing that anymore. Thank you very oh, much. Yeah. Passed out, man. Um. So so um. 
so yeah, yeah, I, I kicked it with these kids, and my mother was away. So as I'm talking to my father, I telling him, I'm telling him about this thing. He goes, "Do you know where your mother went?" I said, "No." Do you want to know? I'm like, do tell. <laughs> of course uh-huh. I do, right? Yeah. I happen to be writing a book. Right. So he talks about, um, first of all, he talks about my mother's transformation. Mm-hmm. He said that within those, within the terms of engagement between, the Korea, between Korea and the U.S. military and how they manage prostitution, one of the first things that a woman who gets usually semi-abducted into, into this game, mm-hmm. into the game of prostitution, being a camp town prostitute or a Kitchijan prostitute, um, the first thing you got to do is you got to choose the color of the soldier you serve. Really? Yeah. So, so if you chose black, um, that means you have to work in an all-black club. Mind you, this is 76, 77, 78 when I was there. Uh-huh. Army get army got desegregated forty eight mm-hmm. implemented in fifty one ish right right and but prostitution protocol said <clears throat> you prostitute choose the sir choose that soldier and stay on that side of the line hmm. at the either the all black or the all white clubs and when you're on the street not associated with a club you have to be aesthetically obvious. To those soldiers who you serve. Really? So my mother started to become aesthetically obvious. Mm-hmm. She started to basically, her and her girls started to transform into black women. Huh. And the girls across the uh, alley in the all white, the rows of all white clubs, some of those girls you can see walking around with funny shoes on and funny hats on. Huh. Cowboy hats and cowboy boots. Wow. I remember that shit. I remember thinking, what the fuck does she have on? <laughs> that ain't no kind of Korean. Yeah, it must have been completely foreign, right? Yeah. Like, this motherfucker got spaceship on her feet. <laughs> so it's natural that your mother would start talking with a certain rhythm to her. Because with she, all of her that's friends all she's, yeah, it's all, all her clients. All her clients, boom. Yeah. So, so, um, so the military says you, the soldier, have to choose your soldier. I mean, you, the woman, has to choose the soldier you serve. Stay on that uh, side of the line. And then, so, well, th- there's that part. One of the things that Korea and America had to actively manage within that game of prostitution was STDs, mm-hmm. right? So part of their plan was, uh, part of their plan and execution was, all right, you... Uh, woman, you guys go for weekly checkups. You carry these ID cards uh-huh. um, that denotes to anybody on the street your status at any given time huh. within within a, within a week's margin, right? Wow. So the onus is on them to stay healthy, right? Mm-hmm. But so then, and it's kind of the marriage of those two things that goes into what prostitution protocol is really about. So. The soldiers all the way up almost through the early 80s had to play separately, even though the army was desegregated. Sure. And playing separately means, um, you know, clear division in terms of what side of the line your girl, your Mm. prostitute girlfriends are on. And the army kept these two races apart because the army's army's position was all right, it's obviously the black soldiers that are responsible for spreading the STDs. So in order for us to keep our military at the peak of readiness and healthy, we got to isolate that activity. Uh-huh. Now, clearly, you know, white boys are just, you know, they, they were burning just as much as the black dudes. So, so that's what it was all about. Prostitution protocol. Uh-huh. Keep the military separate because of this, these racist views um, and, and how it impacts overall health. You know, when you, when you're trafficking women. Mm. in your military mm-hmm. crazy shit yeah <laughs> crazy so, shit so your mother comes back after two weeks yeah she came back and not not only not only did she come back because i think because she was the boss i think that's tied to uh two or three times she dropped me off at orphanages and said that she was going to be back either two or three weeks hmm. and so i'm dropped off at these orphanages and, I, and like, I literally remember all these Korean orphans, you know, kids of very, you know, various uh, uh, ages 
And they always calling me gumdingy still. Like these little orphanages are calling me nigga, right? Hmm. And but I remember walking around almost laughing at him like, motherfucker, I got a mother. I may be a nigga, but y'all the orphans. I'm getting picked up in two weeks. <laughs> right. I got a mom. So where, where are you at, motherfucker? Wow. You know what I mean? Like, I remember that. But, yeah, and, yeah. I, and, and some of that, I think, you know, some of that, um, I, I, I think I used to get that kind of tongue from my mother. Because I used to see, we used to walk down the street and little, little, little old Ajimans, they'd stop and spit in our paths and say all kind of stuff to my mother for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and she wouldn't, man, she wouldn't break stride. She'd say some shit that, that would just cut those old women. Hmm. You know what I mean? That takes and, a lot of balls because I yeah. must have some power over Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But you know, I probably got a lot to do with why we got kicked out the village and shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> For talking back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. my mother just didn't take no shit, man. So at what point, at what stage now does she say you're going to be at the orphanage or put, we're going to put you up for adoption? So I'm eight years old. Uh-huh. We've Still been, in Bupyong? Yep. We've been living in t- uh, T-Shirt Alley, basically, uh, um, for two years. Yep. I'd seen all kinds of shit. No kidding. Um, I've been, I've been, I've been at other, other orphanages for, you know, quick little stints for my mother always to come and scoop me. Um, and the way that I write this particular chapter is, um, you know, everything was different that morning. Right. Um, you know, my mother, you know, my mother was my best, she was my mother, but she was my best friend. She was, she was my, she was the only, you know, solace that I had in that crazy ass. Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and she, and one of the things I just remembered is she, as a little child, she did so many things to kind of just remind me that she loved me. And I, I just, you know, I think as a, as a, as a parent, I think that's one of the, 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 the number one thing in, in life, that's, you know, food and shelter and all that kind of shit, obviously, but, you know, but is to fortify your child in, um, that, bedrock that foundation that mm-hmm. you are loved yeah you know what i mean um you know um yeah it's, it's just i think it's a beautiful thing so so um hang on do i hear music yeah somebody's oh. singing yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's a church there's a church over here oh yeah that's okay the street yeah <laughs> ain't no problem with some gospel that's the thing shit koreans will sing some gospel that is also true you will walk up and and that, i'm telling you man black folks and koreans we share a fucking special bond you know, we're, 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 we know what it feels like to be oppressed. That, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, we know. That. Yeah, we know. Um, so, anyway, uh, my mother, uh, you know, we, 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 we get into a taxi. It's a quiet ride. Um, and, you know, me, I was just like, all right, shit, you know, another one of these trips. You know what I mean? Um, and then we get to uh, this orphanage, it, and it was different again. Because in this orphanage... There's mixed Korean kids like me, mm. right? This, these weren't just Korean kids. Yeah. You know, straight up Korean kids. These are mixed kids. And I'm like, well, well, this is different. Uh-huh. You know? This is the first time she's dropped you off at a place like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, the two or three other uh, orphanages, straight up, you know, just all, stretch, all Korean kids. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'm like, you know, me, it's, I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, and, and, my, and my mother goes, uh, Milton, uh, I'm going to be back tomorrow. Um, and I'm going to bring you a gift. She never said that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, that's different. So, um, uh, and then she gets in the taxi, rolls out. I'm like, cool. One of the first kind of things that I remember about this place, um, that's like, it's like a red brick building. Um, it's got a high, like seam, uh, uh, cinder block cement wall, um, and kind of a big kind of playground on the inside, huh. right? Okay. Um, and this is uh, St. Vincent's Orphanage for Amerasians, also known as Father King Father Keen's house. Um, mm. Guy S- still around? Um, actually, uh, he's buried up in Maryknoll, New York. He passed away like five or six years ago. Oh, okay. Um, but originally from Boston. Oh. Um, so, or he either he's originally from here and went through Boston, or other way around. But he ended I, up in Korea. Yeah. Um, he was one of the first. Uh, he was one of the first missionaries over there. Oh, okay. Um, um, over there, um, you know, working with uh, um, uh-huh. I, I think uh, he founded it. He founded the uh, the orphanage by uh, because he was giving like a uh, like a midnight Christmas sermon or something in Bupyong, and a bunch of kids were like running outside and like peeking in the church, and he saw a bunch of kids 
they were all, you know, they all look really different, you know, found out that, that, they're, that they're mixed. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of these kids were fucking homeless. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, and, and then he found out that, you know, you know, on the to- on the social totem pole in South Korea, that's the worst thing you can be. Yeah. You know, and, and to be uh, white Homeless and Korean. And, mixed. and then black and Korean is just at the bottom bottom. Yeah. You know, yeah. white and Korean is next. And then mixed with some other thing is, is yeah. So um, my mother drops me off. She says that she's, I, I, I tell her I want a train set. I used to love trains. Because um, in Bupyong, there was a train tracks in the back. And we used to sit on the, uh, like, the trestle bridge in the middle. That's where we used to get fucked up. But we used to, like, try to jump on the trains. You know, if it's going slow, we jump on it and ride really? it for a mile. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> oh but, God. man, we used to play chicken on the bridge. Like, as the train is going, I remember holding the beam uh, on top like this and hanging over the river of, like, 40 feet. What? But we used to do that shit on, like, nothing. Fucking straight up fearless. You know, we didn't care. That's the kind of stuff you see in like Russian teens on YouTube now. Yeah, but you know, Russian, Korean, same shit in, 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 that, in that respect, you know? Yeah. You know? So yeah, my mother drops me off, um, says that she's going to bring back a train set tomorrow. Uh-huh. And when I got dropped off, I saw this kid, Joe. Um, he's black and Korean, real tall. Didn't, didn't say much. I think, you know, for the 10 days that I was in that orphanage, I heard him say 15 words. Mm. And to, until his day, he still ain't. He, he probably said 15 words last month, you know. Uh, he was on this bicycle, man. I had to think for bicycles. And I'm like, damn. I said, man, you got to get off that bike. But I'm like, if he says no, he's too big to fight. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, uh, fortunately for me, uh, the next morning, he had to go to school. Oh, yeah? And me, I was eight, but I had never been in school. So, I wasn't in school then. Mm-hmm. So he, he goes off to school, and I got on that bike never got off. <laughs> he came back, and he was like, why are you on my bike? Yeah. I'm like, you know, shit, you snooze, you lose, man. <laughs> um, and then that next day, my mother comes. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I remember this like yesterday. She's, you know, down hugging me, and I'm, I keep looking around, around her with, with, because the taxi cab uh, door is open, and I'm looking for my fucking train set. <laughs> Remember, like, you know, normally my mother says some shit's going to happen. It's going to happen. Sure. Yeah. You know, plus I wanted my fucking, promise. yeah, promise is a promise. And, you know, and, and, and my train set was, uh, you know, that, that, that could have made my life, you know, as an eight year old. Yeah. Me with a fucking train set. That would have made my life. Screw the bike. Yeah. Fuck the bike. You can have the bike. So she hugged me. She said, uh, you know, I love you. And uh, she, you know, stay strong. And that was the last time I saw her. Really? Yeah. But I don't think I knew she wasn't coming back. Right. But that's, and that, then that kind of makes this whole story kind of interesting because I don't think if, if that was the, the, the exact case, and who knows, maybe I had a feeling, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I know I had a Jones to get to America. I know that as a kid. Well, yeah, because um, yeah. you said your father's yeah. from the States. Um, so it kind of makes this part interesting because it, it, it becomes, it, the question becomes, well, why did you do this thing that I'm about to tell you? So, so yeah, I had a Jones to get to America. I had fell in love with what it was to be black. Now I'm like, shit, I'll be a gum thing. Yeah, I'll be a nigga, right? I love this shit, you know? I'm about mm-hmm. to go live with some more niggas. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I just found the nigga of my life because this beautiful Ford LTD pulls up to the uh, orphanage, and I remember I'm on that bicycle, and this is 10 days into my um, uh, stand at Father Kane's. I'm on the bicycle. Joe's off in the corner doing whatever he does by himself because he was just a, he was a loner. And uh, when I see that thing pull up, like I said, a spaceship just pulled up to my orphanage. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm like, hmm, you know, like this bike is great, but that shit's more interesting. So I'm like rolling over that way, you know? And then I see uh, Father King. He's uh, he greets the the woman uh, because in, from the passenger side, man, this woman comes out and she is gorgeous. Like I'm eight years old. I always say I'm eight years old, but goddamn, I knew she was fine, right? Perfect skin, perfect, perfectly round. She looked like a goddess, like round afro. And and you know, mom, I'm sorry, but your body was banging back then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, uh, oh, um, God. and but then out of the driver's side, man, the the blackest soldier I'd seen, and you know, he, was he in uniform? He was in uniform, really, man. And you know, with like, and I'm like, you know, this is like, you know, he didn't have the tux thing, but you know, 
he had the uniform if like a general was rolling by. You had to look sharp. That yeah, day. you know what I mean. So he was in like his dress uniform. He was a, he was a captain. Uh huh. Um, um, in the army. Um, but he worked um, on the general staff. Oh, yeah. And as a black captain, black low-ranking officer like that, mm-hmm. that was rare. Um, but but it also just kind of speaks to kind of the man that my father is. Still they saw is. potential in him. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, because yeah, because my father doesn't fuck around, and he's sharp as a fucking razor. He is. Mm-hmm. You know, the four kids that him and my mother produced: Don Northwestern, Donna Northwestern, Darren. FAMU undergrad, Stanford MBA, out with honors. Wow. Dwin Northwestern. I got a football Sharp. scholarship to Northwestern. Got kicked out that motherfucker, but I finished up in Indiana. There you go. <laughs> you know, my, I, I got a little something in the old noggin. Um, so uh, this car pulls up, and these two beautiful people come out, mm-hmm. um, and I see them uh, greeted by Father King. Um, they're talking, and I'm still rolling around on my bike. Um, and I'm like, you know, oh, this is real interesting. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, I got a Jones for these people, right? Mm-hmm. And then they call Joseph over. Yeah. Father King calls Joseph over. And I see Joseph walk over there. I'm like, whoa, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> walk over there. They give him a hug. He goes back inside, comes out comes out with his bag. I'm like, this motherfucker is getting adopted? You knew what that what was happening? Well, that's that's what happens and you know, when motherfuckers come and they get a kid, yeah, yeah. you know, you know that kid's gone. So like, you, at this point you're like, how do like, I hustle my way in here? No, no. I, I I you know to be honest, I don't remember too much more beyond that. Like okay. I love these people. Wait a minute. This kid is going with the people I love? Like I remember that. It was like instant. You were like, "That those are going to be my parents." Well, you know, but like like I said, that woman was number one. She was she was black and just amazingly gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, my my mother she she did a, she did a lot of modeling for the military back then. But if she she could have been she could have been Lena Horne, goddamn, she was mm-hmm. she was gorgeous. And and my father was to me, you know, he was the epitome of black. He's Discipline. He was strong. He was confident. He was, he's everything that a man could want to be. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck what color you are. You know, he was smart as fuck. And he looked like a fucking superhero. What kid wouldn't want had that, that motherfucker to be their father? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, when Joseph walks over to that couple and Father King, um, you know, th- that woman, Gwen Washington, bends over and gives him a hug. Mm-hmm. And then after a little while, you know, they must have like walked, they're walking back to uh, the car. Now, this part, I didn't remember until my mother, who was Gwen Washington, told me about this. I didn't Mm -hmm. remember this. So this is, and then when when she told me, memory started to pop back. All right. She goes, so all of a sudden, Milton, as we were walking back to the car, you ran up and grabbed Don, your father's leg. Apajee, Apajee. And Father King was like, you know, Don, first of all, Captain Don Washington was like, I don't know this little motherfucker. He's making, and this is not a good look talking about I'm your daddy, but yeah, this yeah. is my wife. You know what I mean? This is my wife over right, here. Yeah. You fucking this up. Um, <laughs> I have and, a good thing going here. Yeah. So Father oh, King God. grabs me yeah. and pries me off his leg. Uh-huh. And my mother said that I squirmed, got away from him, ran ahead of them. Jumped in their car and locked all the doors. Get out of here. Yeah. And every time they'd put the key in, to un- boom, I'd lock it. Um, and then that's when Gwen Washington turned to her husband. It's like, Don, you know, I know we came down here to get Joseph to see how well he's going to fit into the family. How about if we take them both home? Now, what I didn't know at the time was those two were in the process of adopting Joseph mm-hmm. over a year at that point. Oh, the adoption wow. just went through. Yeah. Like basically when they, when my mother dropped me off at the orphanage, adoption went through and this is when they came out to pick him up to right. see how well he fit into the family. Yeah. And I, so I jumped in the car and they take us home for like two weeks and, and me, I'm like, holy shit. This, this is, is it. fucking fantastic. <laughs> I'm like, I got, you know, I got food. I got three meals a day. I got a fucking bed to live in. I got all these other kids. And they're like, everyone's smiling and shit. This is great. <laughs> you got a maid. Yeah. With a lotto. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know what hitting the lotto is. 
Meanwhile, uh, Joseph's like, he stole my bike. Right. <laughs> Clearly. So then, about two weeks later, the Washingtons had to decide which kid are they going to take. And and my mother told me, she goes, she goes, Milton, you must have overheard me on a conversation or something on the phone. Because I don't know how you knew, but we were getting ready to take you and Joseph back to the orphanage to finalize the adoption. And Make you, our decision, finalize the adoption. Does your mother know any Korean or anything like that? No, my, my mother, no. My so this father is all knows in English. It's all, it's all in English. But she, but you know, but the, I also think that's, you know, some people think I'm fucking psychic. But I just know how to read, you know, yeah. I, I know how to read the body signs. Body language. Body language, the energy in the field. You yeah, know, when you yeah. get, I, like, I got, I had to be very, very self-aware. And so I, I pay attention to shit, yeah. you know. That's why everybody thinks I'm a fucking cop. Because I pay attention to shit. And I got kind of a still got a square jaw kind of big, you know what I mean. I'm 240. They, they just waved me at the thing. 5'11", 240. So uh, my mother said, you must have known that we were getting ready to take you and Joseph back. Uh-huh. Because... Right before it was time to get in the car, I was gone. Now, they lived in a um, housing complex um, called RGH, uh, Residential Government Housing or something. Like on post? or this, this was this was off post, but military housing. Okay. Like an island of military ho- housing in the middle of some rice paddies. As a matter of fact, it, now that's what, what was old boy? Uh, that's, it, it's Kangnam. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah it's now Kangnam. Wow. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the tree is still there. They got they got a special little thing around it. It splits the road. Huh. Tree is still I've seen it. Which is kind of interesting, right? You know? Yeah. So they couldn't find they couldn't go back that day because they couldn't find me all day. I'd ran away. Where'd you go? I think I went multiple places, but where they ended up finding me is um, a playground sleeping inside of a um, a, a thing. Like a tube? Yeah. Because I'm like I am like, these motherfuckers ain't taking me back. I ain't come with a receipt. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> so what they end up doing? So they found you. So so they they found me. Uh, they took us both back. But thank God, man. You know, I I'm, I hit my mother's heart. She's like, we're not getting rid of them. Mm. No, we're gonna adopt both of them. And then that's how Joe became my brother. Yeah. And the Washington became my family. So it was it another year process, or it was was it pretty simple? Do you know to like to like transition it to the family for for them to fully adopt you. No, it was it was basically instantaneous. Oh yeah, yeah. They like I said, they had been adopting Joe, and that's a fucked up story. Yeah, it's. I'm like I've told it, but it's just you know like I understand why Joe is the way he is. I remember when when uh, when I heard this story, man. Like, I remember going like, "Fuck, I can't just buy a seven hundred dollar plane ticket right now to go to Indianapolis," uh, but I'd love to because I love to go to Indianapolis and just get that dude a hug. Mm. You know, it's well, fucking man. We're doing this interview, so I got to tell you the story. If it's cool with him, no, no, I've I've, I've told the story. He's already he's already given me. Um, uh, that's why I've told you the okay. story. Yeah, he's, he's okay. Me. So, my family, the Washingtons, like we love musicals and shit, right? Oh yeah. You know, so I'm one of the big black straight dudes walking around Harlem, like listening to the fucking Wiz, listening to Fiddler <laughs> on the Roof. Or Les Mis. Wow. You know, motherfuckers think that I'm listening to some hardcore shit, but I'm like, no, if I was a rich man. So I think it was like 2011. Uh, the Wiz was playing at City Center. Mm-hmm. So uh, I invite my parents up. For the first time in my life, I got some questions about our adoption. I'm writing this book. Mm-hmm. I'm horrible at writing. But I'm writing this book and I need some information because every time, I, you know, uh, every time someone hears wind of the story, they're like, well, you know, have, have you have you seen your mother? Like, that's a question that like, I'm, you know, no, but like I need to know more about that. Mm-hmm. Or someone goes, well, why did your parents adopt you? Like, I need answers to that kind of stuff. Okay. So, so my parents came up and they gave me a lot of good context. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, we're in a coffee shop on like uh, like 60th, uh, not 60th, uh, um, like 50th and Broadway. Okay. And we cause getting we, ready to go see a show. Well, we had just came from uh, City Center. The Wizards, fucking okay. fantastic. One of my boys was in the show. Yeah. He, yeah, he was one of the dancers, and he's fucking incredible. Like he could be standing in the middle of the room, jump up, walk on the fucking roof, and jump down. And shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this motherfucker. I'm like, how the fuck do you do that? <laughs> 
And he could be he could be seen in just the streets of New York, not even just Harlem, just boom, rolling down on a skateboard, just leaning in, you know what I mean? Rolling. Cool motherfucker. Dude named Daniel Watts. As a matter of fact, he's in that show Vinyl now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The HBO like, show? Yeah, he's like some, there's some, apparently, I don't watch the show, but it's like some kind of pimp kind of looking dude, little, little short black dude. Big I haven't seen it But yet. anyway, you know, we just saw this great show, and now we're sitting in a coffee shop. It's me and my mother, and my father's doing like what I would normally be doing if I didn't live in a city like New York but came to visit. Like when I go to Paris, I'm just going to be watching the people. Yeah. I love that shit. Within, a, within the conversation that I was having with my mother, she's, you know, I remember these words. She was like, so you know your, bro- you know your brother Joseph was abandoned. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, well, we, we're both adoptees, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. At least technically we're all abandoned, mm-hmm. right? She goes, well, there's more than that about Joseph. I'm like, well, I, 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 I scooted in. I'm like, got close. I'm like, so what happened? All right, and that was part one of my interview with Milton Washington. Listen, if you like that show, that guy's a good storyteller, isn't he? That guy's a great, charismatic, engaging storyteller. And if you want to listen to the rest of his amazing story, then you should definitely tune in next week to finish it out with part two. I feel like instead of the uh, the collective effort song that I usually end the show on, I should have like the uh, the song from Serial. You guys listen to Serial, right? If not, you should listen to Serial, but they always end up like a cliffhanger or something like that. And then the Serial music plays on the piano. I should have found some of that. Speaking of music, um, why haven't you guys told me about Dan, a.k.a. Dan? What the hell? Did I miss the boat on this? It's the internet. There is no boat to miss anymore. There's permanently the boat. The boat is always there, okay? But you guys didn't tell me about Dan, a.k.a. Dan, all right? I'm sitting here talking about Dumbfound and Aquafina, who are awesome, by the way. But Dan, a.k.a. Dan, who is a Korean adoptee and a rapper, okay, has his own stuff out there. And he has a documentary about finding his twin after doing a birth search. Come on, guys. Where where were you on this? I'm the boss. Need the info. Okay? Throw me a bone here. Yeah. Yeah. That was a Dr. Evil impression for all you children under 20 who probably don't even know who Dr. Evil is. Okay? Anyways, we're uh, going to sample some of that a Dan aka Dan song for the end of this show because if you don't know about him you can download him on Bandcamp and Apple Music and uh, probably Spotify and Google Play I guess I don't know I don't know there's too many things out there okay and uh, (laughs) sorry to get to be like Snapchat for me I don't understand it Um, listen you guys have a great week, okay? You guys enjoy your week. I look forward to, uh, if you're in D.C., if you're listening from the nation's capital, I look forward to seeing you tonight for dinner and then throughout the week, all right? I will be uh, corresponding from there, from D.C. for the rest of you, all right? So uh, enjoy the week. Enjoy the nice weather outside. Hopefully it's not too muggy where you are. Uh, thanks for listening from Canada and China and Korea and the listener in Britain and uh, Denmark and all across the U.S., all right? I appreciate all your listenership. Thank you. Thanks, iTunes Music Services, for always listening and hopefully uh, approving all of my, my shows on time. Weirdly, it hits the, uh, the mobile app for podcasts immediately, but it takes like a day for it to upload to the desktop. So sorry, desktop client users of iTunes. It takes a minute. But you can always listen on uh, Podbean or the latest episode on SoundCloud or Google Play. Or on iTunes. And I think, you know, there's a slew of Android apps out there, too, that you can listen from. All right. If you want to reach me at any given moment for some reason, or you have a question or comment or would like to come on the show, which is even better. I'm always looking for guests of international or transracial adoptees in their experiences. Uh, you can send me an email at therambleradhd at gmail.com. Again, that's therambleradhd at gmail.com. You could tweet me and follow me on Twitter at uh, the Rambler ADHD on Twitter on the Twitter sphere, uh, and I am on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/TheRamblerADHD. ADHD. I just hit puberty apparently about two seconds ago, so you can hear me crack uh, on next week's show. <laughs> okay, listen, you guys have a great week. Oh, music today was provided by the Bell Needle Drop Records and a collective effort. Uh, over there on SoundCloud as well. And we're going to finish the show out with Dan, a.k.a. Dan's hit song, Is There Anybody Out There, which is inspired by his adoptee adoption experience. Okay? I'm only going to, you know, you know, yeah. 
Hopefully I can get him on the show sometime. Dan, if you're listening, or friends of Dan, t- tell him I want, I want him. I want him on the show. I might even take a trip out to L.A. If there's any other L.A. adoptees that want to come on the show, too, maybe I'll make a trip out of it. It's the summertime. I would like to go out to, to California, see how it is. They're, I haven't been out there in a, probably since college, which was like 10 years ago. All right. You guys have a great week. I'll talk to you next week when we finish out our conversation with the great Milton Washington and his memoir, Slicky Boy. All right. See ya. over i believe in god but i question as i get older will my burdens he shoulder can i remain a soldier between doing what is right sometimes and what i know is colder and it's a scary proposition from this place of my vision when i can't even trust myself with simple moral decisions i know it's wrong for me to question or even trying to test you but it's hard sometimes when i stare at myself in the restroom that's why can't i be open can i say i took it for granted of what could be offered in life this is my time to be candid never mind i'll just get faded besides thinking is overrated and i just want to escape and to face what i've so tell me, is there anybody out that you know without a doubt can explain to me all this and what life is all about? To live or live without, we're wondering what is out. So it's always got me asking, is there anybody out there? Out there. Hope they're still waiting for me, cause I'm feeling so scared. So scared. But I know through this I can be free. Cause if I keep on, I know I'll yeah. find it'll all get better in time. In is time. anybody out there? Is there anybody? Cause I know they're still waiting You're still waiting on me Is there anybody?